Welcome to The Millionaire's Lawyer, where you'll hear leading professionals share expert advice on how to grow your business and sell it for maximum profitability. If you want to learn lawyer-proven strategies for building and exiting your business, then this is the podcast for you. Your host, J.P. McAvoy, is a business lawyer, college professor, and best-selling author who has been assisting clients start, grow, and sell their businesses for millions of dollars for over 15 years. Will yours be the next? Now here's your host, J.P. McAvoy. Hello, podcast world. Thanks for joining us here on The Millionaire's Lawyer. Happy to have you here with us today. And uh, we got a great show for you. We've got Andrew Boyer on, who's uh, the founder of the Canadian Legal Innovation Forum and ADB Insights. And you'll hear through the course of his career how he's watched change and disruption occur. And certainly we're seeing a lot of that right now. And we'll only continue to see more and more of it you know, across Canada, throughout uh, North America and the United States and beyond. Change is a coming. Change is not necessarily a bad thing as you hear, and it creates opportunity. So that's just what we want to do is we embrace the new environment, the new reality here today with Andrew. Andrew, hi there. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us here today. I guess you're out in sunny Vancouver right now or, or snowy Vancouver or rainy Vancouver. What's it like there right now? Hi, JP. Um, nice to speak with you today. It's rainy Vancouver right now. Rainy sure. Vancouver. But not snowy. That's why we, we like living out here. Absolutely. Yeah. Now you've traveled a fair bit as well. I think you were in London previously, right? Yeah. Um, I lived uh, in between London and New York for 13 years. And then I, uh, I came back to Vancouver where I'm from a couple of years ago, 2018. So what accounted for the back and forth? I mean, obviously, you know, it was back and forth, London, New York. What were Yeah. What was driving that? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I started, you know, I, I grew up in BC and Vancouver and, and then the Okanagan Valley as a teenager. And, and then I went to UBC. And then um, after my undergrad degree, I have a British passport. My parents are British and was always uh, intrigued about living in London. And so I moved there in 2005. And then sort of my uh, you know, I guess career and personal journey brought me to New York after some time in 2011 and then back to London 2014. So, uh, yeah, so there was, uh, so in between those cities was, was exciting. Well, and what, so what companies, I mean, uh, was it, uh, I mean, obviously media, right? And what, so what companies were, you know, were drawing you back and forth across the pond? Sure. So, yeah, so I started my career with the Financial Times in London, which is a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, quite early on in my career, I ended up being responsible for a group that was focused on new ways for the newspaper to generate revenues Mm -hmm. around content for new audiences. So it was a very sort of interesting time to to be involved with that. The the newspaper business was, was being disrupted, you know, severely in those years. And so it was sort of a front row seat on that. And then I moved to Bloomberg um, and did quite a few different things there. And that, that's how I ended up in, in New York with them. They, they moved me over to New York. Yeah. And uh, was it, with Bloomberg, I guess a whole, a whole series of everything is all, although I shouldn't say all, but a lot of them related to, to use your word before, the disruption in the industry, right? I mean, and, and now you do so much with, on the innovation side, which is really, really, this is not just the out, out the other side of, uh, of disruption. When we talk about innovation, yeah, so absolutely, yeah. So Bloomberg is a really interesting company to work for in terms of, you know, I guess uh, 
forging innovation in, in my DNA, so to speak. You know, it, it's a very uh, disruptive company, you know, a very kind of entrepreneurial place, uh, very collaborative. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if I recall, you know, thinking back, the biggest kind of striking thing when I started working for them was uh, not to fear failure. And failure was okay. Not being perfect was also okay. And that's really how, you know, it's become such a successful company is that they've really, you know, they they really kind of focus on the end user, iterate, 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 try new things. If something doesn't work, that's okay. It's not a failure. Try something different. And that was, um, you know, a really interesting environment to work in. And I really enjoyed it. That's a, you know, a really important lesson as well, isn't it, Andrew? As you say to, uh, I mean, not be afraid to take a stab at something or take a, take a chance or whatever the case is. I mean, that's really innovation as well. And, and knowing that we don't do these things with 100% success, do we? I mean, part of the point of the exercise is to go and do things and then from there learn and perhaps take it in a new direction or in a new way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was, you know, really, you know, kind of key experiences there where, where the interesting thing about working in that organization was, you know, kind of multifold really, you know, one was, it's very much a tech company, mm-hmm. you know, their kind of core business is the Bloomberg terminal, although they have a bunch of ancillary businesses as well. And so, you know, that sort of ability to work and collaborate with technology was something that was just, I started there in 2010, that was really already kind of omnipresent. So if you sort of contrast it to what's going on now, it's been a quite an easy switch, because you're just used to working that way. It's a very global company, so you're used to um, obviously having a huge um, number of different kind of approaches to things. So, for example, you know, if I recall working on, you know, one of the teams I was on in London, you know, I think there was someone, every person was from a different country. Hmm. That's a really interesting kind of environment to work in. And it works. And so that, you know, again, was, was, was a sort of unique experience. You didn't really realize it was what, what was happening at the time. Um, and I think the final thing, you know, there was, you know, change is, is sort of ever present and, you know, change is good and be flexible, adjust with things, be resilient. So all of those, I suppose, lessons that I was learning working for them helped me kind of inform my approach now. And so it's, it's been an interesting career journey. And you know, I think the final part was it was a fun place to work. You got to travel all over the world, you know, do business in all sorts of different places, you know, a lot of business in Latin America, Europe, the Middle East. And so it was a pretty exciting environment to work in. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, and I want to speak to, you know, where uh, it's taking you to now. Uh, but before I do that, you said one thing I have to drill down to and obviously say what you feel comfortable with. I hear so much about Bloomberg Terminal. Like, is it really that power? Is it really that good? You hear people like that, you know, I've got friends that let's say use it. And so there's other friends that are always asking them, hey, well, tell me this or give me some information on that. Like, so can you just describe what that's actually doing and why people are, are paying up for that service? Yeah. So I haven't used the, I left Bloomberg about three and a half years ago yeah. now. And I didn't think I'd be able to live without the terminal. Yeah. But, um, I managed to survive um, and not having, you know, used it much in the last few years. I think, you know, what the Bloomberg terminal is, is it's really kind of a bunch of windows on what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And that is a world that's, you know, obviously the financial world. um, So that's driven a lot by data. 
And so what you have with Bloomberg is basically they're collating all of these feeds of, of information. You know, one example would be the stock exchanges, but yes. there's tons of other information that they're bringing in. And then they're applying analytics tools to that. And then, you know, you can, you know, if so if you're doing a job as a commodities trader, you're using that sort of section of the terminal to do your job. Or if you're a fixed income bond trader, you're using it or you're an equities analyst. So all of those different things it allows you to do. And I think the unifying thing is they have, a, you know, I, th- I don't know how many subscribers they have now, hundreds of thousands. You know, they have, a, a, you know, great tools for connecting, trading, chat, and then, of course, the news piece uh, on top of that. So it's it's a really interesting concept. It's quite hard to explain. Yes. But, you know, it's it's obviously a hugely impactful kind of force in the markets. And I think, you know, one of the it's sort of an adage that's thrown around and, and they and I think they, they caught it with the time they were in was, you know, the data data almost became as valuable as money. And they caught that wave starting in the 1980s. And that's you know, continuously, you know, I think, proven to be true. Yeah, it continues to be true, right? Yeah, I mean, you just hear it, right? So uh, for people that you know, aren't that familiar with or maybe only heard the term, like to realize, you know, the really the value of the data, like you say. And it's interesting, even as you describe, I believe there's a lot of sort of analysts that, look, that speak to it. And from what you just said, they're probably even speaking to each other, right? Uh, so using the platform to speak with each other, which is, obviously also going to influence things or influence decisions or influence how things are ranked or looked at. And, and by virtue of that, if you're talking in a, in the stock market context, it's going to impact values. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very interesting, interesting product and, and also, you know, a great product. And so I do miss, I do miss having access to my Bloomberg terminals. Oh, I can imagine, especially because I'm sure you became so uh, fluent with it, right? Or so, so familiar with uh, all, of, all of its offerings. So that, I mean, that brings us to present day though, right? To ADB, ADB insights and uh, some of the work you're doing now, can you describe that and uh, the type of, the typical type of client that you have? Sure. So, so what uh, my company does is it's kind of a, obviously a, a blend of all my experiences in my career what I focus on uh, at its sort of core is I started out as a live events company um, in 2018, and I started focusing on the idea of innovation in the legal sector. Mm-hmm. Well, JP, you're a lawyer, you'll know about this. And so that's obviously, you know, a major trend that's underway. And it's, it's a big trend in, in, you know, many different sort of regions. So, you know, Canada, the US, Australia, the UK. And I saw an opportunity and, and, and got to know a few people in the Canadian legal scene. Uh, I was with a consulting firm in London. And, you know, they said there's lots of innovation happening here, but there's no conference about it. Uh, and I thought, okay, this is, um, you know, a really interesting thing to, to focus on. So it started the Canadian Legal Innovation Forum, which was a set of live events, and they would happen in uh, Vancouver and Calgary and Toronto annually, and, you know, put together uh, a series of panels of speakers, you know, sponsors, you have some exhibitors, so it's a sort of classic events business. Mm-hmm. And so my kind of unifying, and then so what that has now expanded into, and I can talk about the digital side in a second, yes. is... You know, my, my sort of unifying thing is I think there's something like half a million uh, professionals in Canada. So not just lawyers, the, you know, accountants, financial planners, et cetera. And they're all facing disruption in different ways. Absolutely. And so that's really what my company's focused on is providing 
platforms where people can learn about what's going on and network and get information to sort of how they can kind of approach and deal with this this disruption or this disruption that's on the way you know for for these sectors what they can expect so so you know what 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 how they can how they can engage with that so that's really kind of what the the overarching concept of my company is right and there was well it is innovation and things can do and it only gets it seems to only be picking up speed so there's very little of that as a lawyer you're quite right i and i watch the space and i've been quite accustomed to over the years seeing how slow lawyers in particular are to adopt, right? Or, you know, and how they fall be- behind as a consequence. And that's really what has happened. You saw that need, obviously, and you're helping to fill some of that gap with your company and with a lot of what you uh, do provide. When you say what's, you know, what's on its way, the disruption is on its way, can you describe that sort of more in detail and talk about what the future looks like? Yeah. So, so what might, what now I've, there's sort of two areas that I'm focused on currently. So I focus on legal innovation and that's for, you know, medium to large size law firms in Canada. And there's obviously a a number of boutique firms who are very innovative as well. And, and then the corporate counsel. So the in-house counsel from companies that they work with. Uh, And then the other area I focus on, which is quite different is the estate sector, which is also, um, you know, a big area and you have a lot of nascent kind of change there. I, I, I've done it, put on a few conferences about that sector this year mm-hmm. in British Ontario. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, there's a couple of things that are, are, are sort of worthwhile noting. You know, one is, is that, you know, technology and innovation often are uh, intertwined. And, you know, so people say innovation, well, it's got to be technology, right? And you just think, you know, Silicon Valley and that's everything. And, and the technology, I think, underpins innovation. It enables innovation. It's, it's, it's core to it. Um, I think that's especially the case now. But what you have on the other, other hand is also, you know, the mindset towards innovation. And, you know, I think if you look at for lawyers, for example, you know, the, the, there seems to be, you know, something that's oftentimes said, well, it's, it's hard for lawyers to be innovative because, and I, you know, I think the reason for that is you know lawyers are trained to address risk mm-hmm. and to identify risk and what might go wrong and you know if, if you don't get that right then you're not doing your job right and so when you turn it on your head and you're looking at how you approach it in your practice and to you know innovation requires leaps of faith or taking risks I think to adopt a mindset that's kind of a dual one, whereas in your day-to-day, you're managing risk and you're saying all the things that might happen versus what you're saying when, you know, you, you or being able to say, well, it's okay to, to make this jump and it might not work and that's a risk is, is quite a hard one to kind of amalgamate mm-hmm. with each other. So, you know, one of the things is, is kind of, there's sort of a dissonance in this really in terms of, of that comparison between risk and being innovative. And I think that's a really key part of, of when you're talking about innovation in the legal sector is, is the ability to kind of, for those to meet in the middle to some extent. Yeah. And that might in part explain why lawyers are so slow to adopt. It seems, you know, uh, so slow to adopt. I know a lot of my colleagues are reluctant to adopt new changes or new ways of doing things. And i frankly, I think they have to, I watched uh, and I was involved with the, uh, the newspaper industry probably around the time that you were, as well, and looking at the disruption that was occurring there. And um, I mean, they, well, they've been fundamentally changed forever. And if they hadn't taken any steps, they wouldn't exist at all. 
but for, right? And I think there's going to be, well, there's going to be certainly some areas of law, sort of traditional areas of law that are, you're always going to need a lawyer for, but there's going to be, there's going to be other areas that the lawyer is going to be replaced and, and technology in part is doing that right now, isn't it? Yeah. So I think the, my opinion on this is, you know, there's, there's lots of demand for lawyers and there will continue to be. The world is complex. It's becoming more complex. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of different drivers underway, which, you know, if we're looking at it generationally in the next, let's say, a 20-year run rate. There's going to be a huge demand for, for lawyers to help advise their clients on risk. And that goes across the whole board. When I say, you know, lawyers, if you're talking about a, a lawyer in a in a downtown law firm advising a company on how, how they, you know, approach a climate change, for example, and the risks mm-hmm. from that down to, you know, complexity around transferring an estate mm-hmm. passes away. And so I think that, you know, what, what that, what, where the key part where innovation comes in is, is the service delivery side of things. So technology can be leveraged to do a lot of, you know, repetitive, boring work that, that frees up a lawyer's time to do more interesting stuff. And so really, I think the resistance that comes there is, is it, you know, there's kind of multiple things. It's, it's, it's a profession that's been doing things, billing by the hour for a long time. And so there's, there's not necessarily the incentive to do things more efficiently. Although where the market's going is they're saying, we want things done more efficiently. Right. And so, so I think that that's kind of where the impetus for change lies in terms of, you know, freeing up a lawyer's time by using technology or tools or new processes to do that, you know, repetitive work to free up their time to do the strategic advisory stuff. And I can understand why there'd be a fear to do that because the repetitive work can be quite profitable and lucrative, right? Mm -hmm. Because well for it by the hour. So that's where I kind of see the tension lying. Hello, podcast friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the show. We sure appreciate having you here. I'd like to take a minute to invite you to download a free digital copy of my best-selling book, The Millionaire's Lawyer, Grow and Sell Your Business. It's available for download at jpmacavoy.com. That's jpmcavoy.com. Hope you enjoy the book. And thanks again for joining us on the podcast. Now back to the show. Yeah, natural tension there. And uh, it's interesting because I think it's, I absolutely agree with you. And at the same time, I would say it's very short-sighted because the repetitive type thing is to say that's becoming the, uh, the basis for uh, the cost reduction uh, and the spots where lawyers are going to be replaced, in my opinion. But the strategy or the, the thinking, the, the, the real lawyering, the nuts and bolts of the lawyering, I don't think will ever go away. You're always going to need advisors and legal advisors to a certain extent to uh, assist on the strategy side or the execution side or you know, the, big, the big picture things. And it's interesting to think if that's if that's indeed the case where things will or where there will continue to be a place for lawyers, it doesn't seem like many lawyers are positioning themselves to be there. I mean, I think that's that's at their own peril. That's at their at their peril to do so. There yeah. will always be a need for sophistication, and uh, I know that as a more senior lawyer myself now, as watching my my own practice grow, this sort of high level question or the the question where clients are coming for advice to how to put things together in a way. Yes, it's measured risk, but it's also some sense of business understanding where things are going. That's where you know, I know when I'm advising, I'm providing real value to clients. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting point, JP. 
you know, when I think about my programming that I put together now, you know, I, I guess when I talk, talk about legal innovation, it's about that sort of tying it back to that intersection of business and law, which is a sort of catchphrase that I use uh, a lot and focus on examples when, you know, there's the practice management stuff, which is, you know, how do I use technology? You know, what does AI mean? Where do I apply that? What, what value can that add? Like, that's part of it. And then the other part is, you know, positioning yourself as a strategic advisor that's justifying value to the person or the business you're advising to. And that's also a leap too, right? Not just sort of giving a purely legal answer, but also saying, well, you know, look, I'm sure JP in your practice, you know, the, from, from your perspective, you get a ton of different insights. You see a ton of different companies, you have a ton of different clients. And so you have this great depth of knowledge that you can apply. And, and I'm sure you work at doing that. And that's quite unique for lawyers and that's professionals as a whole too. You know, whereas if you're in a company, you're in your kind of lane, right? Yeah. You tend to just see it through those things, through that lens. And so I think that's a really key area of how do you add value as a strategic advisor? And there's some very interesting, you know, concepts out there and firms that are doing that differently and looking at it in a whole other kind of context as to what that looks like in, in, the, in the next 5, 10, 15 years. I think it's also worth noting, you know, again, it, you know, I, it's really interesting what I've been working on. And I think it's been an interesting contrast to start focusing on the estate sector, too, because there's very little crossover between what I do in the legal innovation stuff, which, again, is, is sort of the main, you know, it's corporate, corporate law firms and, and mm-hmm. in-house counsel. That's sort of that area and the tech companies that, that sit between them. And then the estate sector is, you know, everyone has an estate. This is something that's inevitable, you know, death and taxes, right? And, you know, it's interesting there. You see a lot of nascent kind of technology startups, particularly in Toronto, that are coming out, you know, online wills as an example, mm. wills to help with financial planning and, and sort of tying that all together, you know, databases where you're storing wills, all these types of things. And I think the thing that strikes me about that when I focus on the innovation part in that is, you know, the end user of these estate services are going to be millennials. And the millennials, because unfortunately, you know, their parents will be will pass away. Mm. And, you know, the way that an estate's managed by a, a fax machine, it's just not going to click with that user base. So the people who are seeing that trend, that what what do the users want and how are they used to you know, dealing with professionals, they don't even, they probably aren't even dealing with, they don't even know that they need to deal with professionals is is a really interesting one. So I think that's a, that's an interesting kind of area too, to look at is sort of how that plays out. And I think that applies to all professionals, not just lawyers. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, as you apply it specifically to the estates, you know, the area of estates, are you seeing, or are people thinking that, uh, I guess, I mean, as you say, millennials, they're not planning on seeing anybody, they're planning on doing it all online, aren't they? That's right. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the forward thinking technology companies and the forward thinking lawyers and the, and the financial planners who are, you know, kind of twofold. One is the technology piece. You know, how do I do some, you know, we're living, a, you know, why should I do something by a fax machine or, or by paper when I'm used to doing it on my phone? So there's the first step, right? Mm. And how can you, how can you sort of plug into what that client base wants. That's one thing. 
And then I think the other thing that comes up is the notion of value, right? Um, again, you know, where, where do you fit into the value chain? And it kind of goes back to what we're saying. It doesn't matter as a professional who you're advising. It's being aware of what your value in the process. And so, you know, like wealth managers is another one. We had some really, and a really interesting panel and some very interesting speakers. We're talking about, well, if you're a, a financial planner and you're 27 years old and you're graduating, you know, what the, the world of the old financial planner, just having a sort of stable existence is, is probably defunct. And so that's going to change a lot. And, you know, also sort of what your, what your role in, in there is, are you, you know, we're going back to the Bloomberg conversation earlier we had was, you know, most financial planners aren't going to be able to beat the stock market, right? This is, you know, there's lots of competition in your space. So, so what are you doing to justify your value of the basis points you're taking from your, your, your clients in terms of their financial planning? And that's a really interesting way to, to think about things too. And so that's really kind of like what I'm trying to do again with all of my platforms is to get people starting to think this way. It's not just about technology, it's also about your mindset. Exactly. So the shift, right, or this disruption that's occurring. So, you know, with the things that you're working on, how do people find that? How do they sort of dig in a bit more? What, what else? I mean, you were doing live events. Uh, I assume that none of that's occurring right now. So, yeah, what's, yeah. what's next on the calendar and what is the, I guess, the future for the company look like? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so it was, a, you know, interesting um, period in March. Um, I did my last live conference in Toronto, which had about 170 people attend, which was on March the 5th, which seems surreal. Wow. Yeah, really. I think, yeah, you were doing it right then. A week before. And, and most people attended. I mean, there, there, there was so, you know, we were all, I think we were all in the same boat. We didn't realize what was coming. And so, you know, I had a, a, a business model problem come March 15th <laughs> because, you know, live events weren't coming back for some time. We didn't know how long. So what I'd, um, what I decided to do, and, and it had already been kind of formenting in my mind, was to move to a format of doing content via webinars. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had already been sort of working on this idea and I already saw this as being kind of beneficial because if you think about it in the events business, it's great to have a live event. People go and network and they get, they learn lots and that's their day out. And also if you're a professional, you get your CPD credits. But as a sort of producer of those, you don't have a huge chance to dive deep dive into specific topics in the way that you may be able to, to do so in a, in a sort of more disaggregated format, which is a webinar. So what, you know, if you, if you do a, a panel on legal technology, for example, at a conference, it's, you've got sort of the AI person, an e-discovery person, maybe a, a, a person who has a sort of matter management tool, and they're all talking about technology for an hour. So you're only really scratching the surface. Yes. And so the people who come to the conference, they say, okay, that's interesting. We talked about AI for five minutes. In a webinar, you can talk about AI for an hour, or you can do a series of webinars. So what I started to do is, you know, come up with a series of what are the topics that people are, are saying who are coming to my conference, they want to learn about more. And then I put together a program and then I went to my sponsors and said, you know, here's, here's a way that we can continue this conversation. You can continue to engage with the audience that, you know, is, is in, in sort of my realm. And, and so that's worked quite well. Um, I think I've done something like uh, 16 webinars on legal innovation since June. And I've done two conferences on estates, 
planning in BC and Alberta, uh, BC and Ontario, which are have been fully virtual. And I just did a, a forum on legal innovation in Western Canada, again, virtual um, the other week. So my company has gone completely virtual. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I've been lucky that I was able to, to transition so quickly. I think it goes back to, you know, the lessons learned earlier in my career change on the presence that, you know, there's still, there's people still want to learn. They still need to get their CPD credits and, you know, companies who sponsor these things want to engage even more with, with people now because they can't meet them. So, so really I've been just sort of honing my, my strategy around that where it's going, obviously, you know, I see, you know, next year, we don't know how it's going to, to look. My assumption, my sort of working assumption is the first half of next year, there'll be still no live events. And the second half is an, is an open question, but I would expect it maybe in the, the late, the la- Q4, Q4 2021, we might see live events again. So it would be continuing with this strategy, focusing on, you know, different audiences, professionals where, you know, there is disruption or change and they need to know more about how to approach that differently. So I'll be doing a series for smaller law firms on innovation next year, focusing on, you know, the estate sector again, uh, maybe some more work with financial planners. Um, Again, just sort of building programming around those audiences of people. And then, you know, just to sort of wrap that part up is eventually it'll be in some sort of hybrid format. I think sometimes, you know, people will still see the value of going to live events or smaller meetings, but I don't think that the mechanism of, of delivering content via a webinar or whatever format will be defunct automatically because I think there's a lot of efficiency in that. Right. Just the final piece, just as a, as a sort of structural thing is, you know, if I look at, you know, like, like the Estates Forum I did in Ontario, you know, someone joining from Windsor, Ontario, uh, who's at a small law firm there, might not travel to Toronto where I would have held it if it was live. Um, and so, you know, that's a whole group of people that are not, who wouldn't have engaged with your program prim- primarily because of geography and cost. And so that's, a, that's quite an exciting opportunity if you really think about it in aggregate, right? You've got a much bigger potential audience. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, uh, well, like we say, like as business evolves, like you, you deal with what's come, it's certainly created opportunity just as much as it's uh, uh, shifted the landscape. Great to hear that you say that, uh, and you are planning to have in-person as well. So that won't go away altogether. Uh, that was one of the fears, right? Are these businesses, are we going to be doing everything in a virtual world now? Because there are, I think, other benefits to, to doing things uh, in person on occasion as well. So it's nice to hear that you're going to have a, a blend of those things and the offerings will continue to look that way. How do people find it? How do people like, uh, so what, what are some upcoming events? We'll have this in the show notes, of course, but uh, what are some of the things that you'd put out there for people listening? Yeah, so um, I'm doing, uh, well, I'm kind of, I've just wrapped up my webinar series uh, last week. So right now it's, it's, it's kind of figuring out what's going to be happening. Planning for the new year probably, yeah. Uh, so, so just as sort of, Primers, I'm doing a few webinars in January, one's on legal project management, which is quite an interesting topic. Another one will be on the evolving role of in-house counsel, you know, moving forward from that, what does a future law firm look like? I think some, some sessions, some deep dives on artificial intelligence and the impact on the legal sector. On the estate side, continuing to kind of grow that audience and providing them with content as well. Um, so that's sort of my plan. Uh, and then the other thing is starting to jump into doing survey-based reports. So mm. 
doing surveys of, of professionals and then publishing those as reports. So they have something to benchmark against and some sort of guidepost to say, okay, well, where do I fit into the, the milieu here of this change? How far or ahead am I and what can I do? And so really that kind of ties into that whole kind of part. You're providing a service to people where they can you know, benchmark and then go back to your platforms to learn more. And then the networking piece is very difficult virtually. I don't think anyone's, you know, can disagree. We're all zoomed out in our own ways. But, you know, once we jump back into the live part, I think that's going to be a part. And I think you're going to have these micro networks of people meeting and, and I'll be focusing on supporting that too. So it will be very interesting, JP, to see what the event business looks like. Uh, it might look completely the same as it did in 2019, but I don't think so. And so... You know, I'm excited to, to, to be a part of, 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 of that and, and also, you know, to, to keep going on the digital side as well, because I think there's, there's lots of opportunities there and lots of interesting ways to do things. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of uh, opportunity on the digital side as well or the, and the online space as we see it continue to expand. And it's great, Andrew, to see how you've applied some of the lessons throughout you know, the course of your career, some real, well, lessons to be learned by us all, right? I mean, you start, started this conversation by saying change is good. Right, and it's true. I mean, it's inevitable. We know the changes will continue to be something that occurs, uh, and so yeah, embrace it. And I like the way you even said, like, don't be don't be afraid to fail either. Right, there's try things uh, as this inevitable change comes. We've certainly seen a lot in the last little while, and that will only continue to be the case as we move forward. I like to leave these shows with. I mean, so I say great tidbits there already, but I like to leave the, these shows with one thing that people can take with them through the rest of the day, through the rest of the week, something you've seen, maybe something, uh, you know, as we sort of wind up uh, this year, turning into next, I see how you're planning it from your own business perspective. What's something that uh, someone sitting at home listening, maybe ought to, you know, maybe ought to be doing for themselves or thinking about for themselves, given this change and what you see on, uh, that's coming around the corner on the horizon? Sure. So I think, you know, from the context of professionals, when it comes to innovation, a, a couple of points. One is that it, you know, technology is an enabler and that shouldn't be your first point of call. The first point of call is to kind of think a little bit backwards from what you're doing to deliver your services more towards what the user wants and figuring out that. And I think the, the concept of design thinking, um, which I've you know, do some workshops on, done some workshops on, is, is a really interesting one where you're sort of thinking about that user-based experience and working back. So what is, what is a, empathizing with the user, figuring out what their problem is, and starting to think of some ideas of how you could approach that differently. That's a really powerful concept to, to think about. So I would suggest people look up that. And then, you know, it, when you do do that, and you're thinking about what that end user wants and how you can meet those needs is, is take a look at your processes and how those could be done differently. And then the third part is to think about the technology tools that underpin that. But that's the big takeaway. I think innovation, as I said quite a few times, is not just about technology. It's about process, mindsets, mindset, technology piece, and, and also, you know, being open, open to those, you know, open to change and open to doing things differently and not being fear, fearful of failure because it will happen. Exactly. It's going to, you know, there will be some failures or some form of failure, but change is inevitable. Don't be afraid. In fact, if anything, embrace it. Andrew, thanks so much for this here today. Loved having you on the show. As I say, we're embracing a lot of what you said and look forward to seeing what the future brings with you. Thanks very much, JP. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to The Millionaire's Lawyer. Please subscribe and rate on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. 
To get your business millionaire assessed and to access the wide variety of resources that we offer in addition to this podcast, go to jpmcavoy.com. That's jpmcavoy.com.